Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and we are joined by Don Pizzette. Don, how's it going? Hey, it is going great. You know, it's uh, the holiday week. Everybody is settling in for Thanksgiving, which is nice, but... But we, you know, we're a dedicated staff of podcasters here. We want to keep bringing you the tech news, even in spite of American holidays. Exactly. And we had Ronnie in here uh, last week filling in. Filling in, It did not work out. So uh, we've got Daniel back. Daniel, how's it going? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I, I would like to say that I, if I think of one word that does describe Don Pizzette, it would be spite. So mm-hmm. just want to put that out there. All right. Makes sense. There we go. And I'm going to have it really easy this week because everybody is basically the same relative name for me. Um, so we're joined today by Dan Cornell, who's a CTO and principal at Denim Group. Dan, how's it going? Uh, tip top. Fantastic. So we got two two Dans and a Don. That, that, <laughs> I cannot go wrong there. That is, a, that is a late 80s movie or early 90s yeah. movie waiting to happen. Three men and a baby, <laughs> yeah. two Dans and a Don, my yeah. two dads, something my, like that. My two da- Dans. My two Dans. <laughs> that, that's it. And you're, you're where? San Antonio, is it? Uh, it's out of San Antonio, Texas, right? Uh, where my my one of my favorite childhood movies was filmed, da- Daniel. The Alamo. No, I'm gonna say that it was Cloak and Dagger. Morgan. Cloak and Dagger. Nailed Cloak it. and Dagger. That's right. That's great. I, uh, had the whole <laughs> because river it was walk awesome. Scene. It because it was an amazing. So movie. I showed that movie to Taylor on a flight. I think out to San Francisco or no, he didn't go to San Francisco, but it was on a flight. He loved it. He was like, "This was awesome." <laughs> I'm surprised it has not been ruined uh, with a remake with like Zac Efron now or something. That's a good point. That's Hopefully, coming. you just shut your mouth because <laughs> yeah. somebody out here. Someone's hearing this. Well, luckily, they're not listening, probably, sadly. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we've actually had uh, someone from Denim Group on before, but uh, we want to go ahead and uh, still get to know you a little bit and get to know about the company in our first segment Rapid Fire Questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, Dan, in this segment, we are going to be throwing some questions at you. You'll have approximately one minute to answer each question. If you go over, Peter will buzz you. Oh, shoot. Uh, hold on. Uh, <laughs> or he will make a noise with his mouth. Check, check your time here. All right, so you'll have a minute and seven seconds <laughs> before you get buzzed. Uh, and we'll rotate through each of us uh, just a chance to get to know you really quickly. And the first question is coming from Peter. Uh, so, like I said, we had uh, John Dixon, one of the other principals, on about 18 months ago or so. But for the viewers that uh, have forgotten in that time, it's been a while, uh, can you refresh us a little bit about uh, who the Denim Group is? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, it, it's a Denim Group. We are uh, we work with organizations to help them more repeatably build secure software. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, again, working with them both on the like advisory and testing, testing services side, uh, looking at the software that they've built, helping build threat modeling, you know, you know secure coding training, uh, secure code reviews, application assessments. And then we've also got our ThreadFix platform that is a software platform that organizations use to manage their application or software security program. So it lets them collect, you know, here's all the teams we have around the world in our organization developing software. Uh, and uh, here's all the applications uh, that they are responsible for. And then you can load in the results of all the different security testing activities and manage those results through to resolution. Um, and then again, by doing that in a central location, you have access to you know, metrics and reporting so you can help drive better maturity in those practices. Now, Dan, the word on the street is that you are the original creator of ThreatFix, or uh, yeah, ThreadFix. I always want to say ThreatFix. ThreadFix, which is your security program management platform. 
Could you walk us through a little bit of your your thought, your mindset of the process that you went through when you were creating that? Yeah, and so we, uh, you know, the kind of the origin story for ThreadFix is we saw, we were in an organization and saw them, uh, you know, first do some testing with a web application scanner, uh, generated a 300-page uh, you know, PDF with a color graph on the front, uh, handed that to the dev team and said, fix this stuff. Uh, you know, wandered off. Uh, then they came around doing some perimeter web scanning with a different scanner later, generated a 200 page PDF with a different color graph on the front, you know, handed it to the dev team and said, uh, here's more security stuff that you need to do. And uh, unsurprisingly, the uh, you know, development teams pushed back uh, and said, you know, like, these guys are wasting my time. And so, uh, you know, like that led us to look and say, you know, everybody here is uh, acting in good faith, trying to do their jobs. Uh, but uh, you know, there are real challenges with data management and data communication. And so we set out to solve those problems. And all the money you saved on the color printing too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> now I know I, a lot of companies have, have come to terms with the fact that security is a thing they actually need to pay attention to. And so you are seeing companies do a lot better. We do use a lot of managed services, a lot of web applications, and the security management space is getting a little bit crowded. We see a lot of different products kind of in that spot. So what what is something that sets ThreadFix apart from everybody else that's in that market? Yeah, well, and so in this ThreadFix is in the area of application security, helping your dev teams that are doing cloud native development, right? And it helps to make sense of a lot of those other tools. And so if you think you, you're doing static analysis with one vendor, dynamic analysis with another, software composition analysis, network scanning, you know, and, and coming up, you know, container security scanning, uh, ThreadFix helps to make sense of all of those data feeds uh, so that you can get a you know, one single picture of what your security security posture for your applications look like. And that's really where we've stepped in to help uh, organizations solve those problems. So I remember back when we, we did the interview with John, uh, we were talking about, he was telling us how he gets emails all the time from uh, suppliers in China asking if they can be the ones that make your jeans. Um, <laughs> so, and, and you've obviously played into that with, with ThreadFix, you know, a little bit uh, with the thread. So, so what is the origin of the, the name Denim Group? I, I'm just curious about that one. So, uh, so, so, so as, as, as far as you know, uh, if you think of denim, it is a, uh, it's, it's a pretty pragmatic, it's a practical fabric uh, that people from all walks of life can use. And, and I think that that meshes up with our approach of how do we help organizations build software that is rugged, that is reliable, um, but also in our approach, how do you take, you know, we try to take a pragmatic rather than dogmatic approach. You know, understanding organizations have a lot of different uh you know, they, they have a lot of different priorities and security is one of those. And so how can we help them to make the best security decisions possible within the kind of the framework and the restrictions they have? You know, I, I was going to ask a similar question, but um, I was looking at their, the, the product suite and some of the other things they offer. So yeah, you've got thread fix, right? Thread, you've got denim group, denim makes sense. Uh, but then you've got their hybrid analysis mapping or ham. <laughs> and so it's blue jeans and ham. <laughs> Goes together like chocolate and peanut butter, doesn't oh, it? This sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you just described me in two words. I've got ham in my blue jeans right yeah. now. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, so the, the, the analogy doesn't go. Well, the marketing team wasn't involved in, in the ham naming, I'm guessing. They, they did the, the denim and the thread fix, but not right, the right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, while we've got you here, uh, we wanted to, to do another fun segment. So we've got um, a segment actually that we've been working on uh, about things that Don hates because Don Don's just an angry person. Um, like I said, spite. Yeah, spite. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, very opinionated about things. So I have the intro made uh, for this segment uh, about what Don hates, uh, but we're actually going to find out about what 
Dan hates today, but it's fine because just pretend when you hear the intro that they're saying Dan and not Don. So. What Don hates. Yeah. There you go. It's a jingle. It's my first jingle. <laughs> it's a jingle. Pretty proud of that. I worked, I worked a long you time. You know, on John that. Stamos on Full House was a jingle writer. I didn't know that. That was his job. Yeah. With, uh, with Jesse Joey. and the... Jesse and Joey started a company. Oh, you mean in the show? In the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Dan, if you're totally lost, there was a very <laughs> strange John Stamos conversation before the podcast started recording. What's the name of the band? <laughs> Jesse and the... Oh, Raiders? No. Uh, we're going off the rails. Oh, yeah. Here. Anyway. Right, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, I've been told, Dan, that you hate that security people think developers don't care about security. And I know this is a topic that we've actually brought up here before because we used to have a guy justin who was kind of our our devops focus but uh you know it sounds like you kind of come from that developer background so so give us your take on this yeah and, and i and i do come from a developer background and that's uh, you know again not not unique certainly not unique in the industry but is i think notable is that i'm a developer who's come into the world of security as opposed to someone coming from a more traditional security background you know audit controls or pen testing and now looking at the security of applications uh, but I, I do a lot of speaking, uh, just as, as part of my as part of my job, uh, outreach to different groups. And I remember giving a talk. Had uh, some, a security like an actual curmudgeon was in the back of the room with his arms, you know, arms folded. Uh, he said, "You know, we wouldn't have this, all this security problems. These developers just, you know, wouldn't you know, wouldn't do such a crappy job." I was like, "Well, number one, sir, you must be really fun at parties." Is my first observation. <laughs> You're certainly somebody I'd like to get to know. And uh, I'm also thinking you probably also get invited to zero meetings after the first meeting that you get invited to with developers with with an attitude like that. And, and it's something that I think the you know the the world is is changing and evolving a little bit, but it is still a persistent perception, I think, among a lot of security people is that you know developers simply don't care. Uh, what I've found is that developers do care, obviously to varying degrees, but developers on the whole do care. They care about security. They want to write code that is secure, but they have a lot of other uh, you know, priorities and commitments, right? They want to build secure code, but they also have to build new features on a timeline, right? And they also have to fix non-security related bugs uh, that are impacting a user's experience. They have performance uh, you know, deals to issue with. They have promises that were made by a hotshot VP to an important customer. And so there's a lot of uh, demands a lot of uh, you know a lot of you know, demand for developers' time and and again you know, developer time is a little bit of a zero sum game you, know, you only get you know eight hours a day or you know ten hours a day or however much jolt cola you uh, are, are feeding your developers um, and so I, what I think is organizations set up perverse incentives that lead developers to create less secure software. And, and that is where the ire of security teams uh, should be better focused. Uh, because again, you know, on, on a whole secure developers that I've worked with, you know, myself as a developer, but developers I've worked with, I do a lot of training, uh, work with different groups. They, they do have an interest in security. They want to do a great job, but in a lot of cases, they aren't being given the, the training or the tools or being given the time in order to make good security decisions. And uh, again, like if, if you want to look at creating more secure code, it's not let's suppress what the developers uh, are, are doing or beat them with a stick or something like that. It's how do we craft 
the incentive structure around them and how do we enable them with the knowledge and with the tools so that they can produce uh, software that has better security characteristics. And so that's a, you know, you, you mentioned like training and knowledge. Let me, let me run with that for a second. So the, the statement that programmers don't care about security, don't care. That means they are willfully choosing to ignore, right? That's a pretty aggressive statement. So let's change that a little bit. And what if it was programmers don't know about security. Like, do you feel that most programmers are receiving training that they understand the importance of sanitizing data input and, and all that stuff? Or, or do you find that most programmers just don't know they need to be doing that? Right. And so uh, yeah, and I actually gave a TEDx talk about this a couple of years ago, and, and that's a huge challenge. You know, I went to uh, Trinity University in San Antonio, uh, excellent school, my you know, four year undergrad degree in computer science, uh, in addition to theory, also trained me, uh, you know, as, as a, you know, vocationally as a programmer. And we talked about security in networking class where it was who could show funny windows on the professor's workstation and in a Linux class of like, how do I uh, you know, fake emails as if I came from a professor? It just wasn't, you know, Security at the time was viewed as something different. It's a firewall box you put in your network, not something that the developers need to think about. And so there wasn't a lot of discussion of you know, authentication or authorization as concepts. There wasn't discussion of you know, input validation and you know, proper encoding. Um, and and, and those, those concepts just weren't in there. And so I think the challenge is that as an industry of, uh, you know, again, undergraduate institutions now, code academies, uh, you know, vocationally creating programmers, there's just not a lot in that, uh, in that curriculum talking about security. And so as a result, that's something that has to be brought in, that knowledge has to be you know, brought in aftermarket later on. And, and that's, a, that's a, just a huge supply chain problem if you look at how the development industry is staffed. Yeah, I'm going to have to go along with you on this one because I don't see a bunch of programmers sitting around going, I can't wait till they can find a bunch of CVEs in this program I just wrote. That's going to be amazing, right? That's I, I, I really don't see that being the case. But we do get this idea of, of tribalism almost that kind of comes into IT. And it has a prop, props it set up in a lot of different places where you know the security people are like, You're so, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you make this better? This is such baby stuff. You shouldn't allow this type of a of an attack to go through. But it's more like, hey, we're on the same team. I found some problems. Let's get together and see what we can do and make this not a problem anymore. Right, and that's and that's a huge thing in the you know in the. From a marketing standpoint, the term is overwrought, but in a world of digital transformation where organizations are really pushing, you know, they need to move faster, they need to innovate more quickly. Uh, you know, I mean, they're relying on developers and DevOps far more than they ever had before because nobody wants to be the you know, the, the company that gets left behind because they weren't able to use the digital tools that are available. Uh, you know, I think that puts security in a position where to stay relevant, they need to they need to figure out how can we be a risk advisor and an enabler for the business as opposed to a more traditional view, which is the security folks or the de department of no, right? Where you ask <laughs> something like, well, you know, the answer is no, but first you've got to fill out these forms, right? <laughs> yeah. The, it, it makes me think security leaders are looking to say, how do we enable the business to go faster, but do so safely? Um, and that mindset is, is, is really important these days. Yeah, and it makes me think too. You know, the the developer is not going to become a security expert. They're going to know the things that they need to know, but you don't get the security person involved at the very end. And and I come from a web development background, and I imagine it's probably the same in in software development. Is it kind of used to be, hey, I'm going to build this entire product, and then I'm going to give it over to the team to to run through QA and 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 
check it for for bugs and things where you know that needs to be happening throughout the development process and those those two need to be working uh, together so that we don't get to the end and find all these problems we, you know we figure out to make sure it's coded the right way from the beginning that that there aren't all these holes so Right. Yeah. And that's, again, you get down to the end and it's like, well, yeah, let's send it to security. Well, they're going to find a bunch of problems and then you've got a decision. Do I push something live that I know has significant security weaknesses or do we delay this to, you know, to, to address the issues? And that's just a, that's a horrible position to put uh, any sort of a risk manager in. And the CEO always says, push it. Yeah. Right. Done is better than perfect. That's yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Done is better than perfect. Never mind. We've lost all our data. <laughs> Who did this? Apparently perfect. Yeah. Developers. Yeah. It's always them. Well, that, that's a good point. Uh, I hate them too now. Um, <laughs> there you go. Not developers. I hate the security people that think developers don't. I would just like care. to point out that when Daniel did his uh, security person voice a moment ago, it sounded yeah. like a surfer bully. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what we are. We're just a bunch of, I'm Keanu Reeves <laughs> roaming the halls of whatever company and going, this is stupid. <laughs> the surfer bully in that would have been uh, oh, uh, Patrick Swayze. No, right? he wasn't the bully. It was yeah. the it was the oh, dudes. Those other dudes. Yeah, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Flea and, and uh, yeah, the other guy, uh, Anthony Cletus. Thank Cletus. you. Yes. yes. Cletus isn't that his name? Cletus. <laughs> and again, we're off the rails. Yes. We've gone off the rails once again. Welcome to the podcast. So, uh, <laughs> so if people want to find out more about Denim Group, uh, where do they go? Uh, well, they can go to www.denimgroup.com. Uh, that is the easy, easy place to find us. If they'd like to know more about ThreadFix, you can go to threadfix.it. Uh, and that is the, that is the site specific to the software platform. Uh, I'm at Daniel Cornell on, uh, on, on Twitter. I'm reasonably active on, uh, Twitter and, uh, and I'm, I'm sure we have, you know, uh, at ThreadFix and at Denim Group Twitter accounts as well. Fantastic. And I saw, uh, you guys were just rated as a top place to work in, in San Antonio locally. So congratulations on that as well. Any, uh, Anything else coming up or it sounds like, uh, you know, you guys are, well, we're getting to the end of the year. No one's planning conferences and no one one has conferences anymore. Anyway, what am I talking about? I'm talking like it's 2019 over here. That's embarrassing. (laughs) Yeah, not a, I mean, I'm I'm due for a haircut. Uh, I think the consensus around the, uh, around, around the office, around the zoom calls with people from the office, I'm, uh, I'm due for a haircut. So uh, looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, looking forward to rolling into 2021. Hopefully the world starts making a little bit more sense and uh, then we can start <laughs> doing a lot more stuff in person. Don, can we send Dan a Floby? Is that like a, <laughs> a parting <laughs> gift for being on Technado? Do you have a spare? Uh, I'm Floby? sure they're not expensive. <laughs> I'm sure um, that like if there was ever a demand for them, it's four and now. a half stars on Amazon. I'm just saying. Oh, there you go. That's not bad. <laughs> Whoever decided to, what is that, mixing a vacuum cleaner and a, Basically, <laughs> and yes. a razor blade? That's <laughs> genius. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for uh, for taking the time to join us today. And it sounds like, you know, in 18 months again, we'll have, well, we haven't had the third, there's three principles, right? Uh, yeah. We'll see if we can get Sheridan. Uh, Sheridan's the one that uh, does the actual work so that John and I can go and talk pretty on oh. podcasts conferences and fly around and uh yeah and, and all the fun stuff so yeah maybe we can uh we, maybe we'll be able to get sheridan on here and he can he can be like oh let me tell you let me tell you what these guys actually <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you about the real work that goes yeah. on here that i i have to pick up for these guys well thanks again for uh for joining us and we'll talk to you soon but uh, everybody stay tuned we've got a little bit more technado coming up right after this quick break the it pro tv app is available for ios and tvos the modern user interface makes navigation easy. Recently watched videos can be found on the home screen, as well as our daily live streams. 
Choose landscape mode for larger viewing. Access the entire course library by clicking on the play icon. Navigate our content by category, certification, and job role. Learn where you want and when you want as a premium annual member by downloading episodes for offline viewing. Watch on the go and pick up later on any of your favorite devices. So head to the App Store and download the IT Pro TV app. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Don Pazette, and thank you so much to Dan Cornell uh, from Denim Group for joining us and giving us his opinion here, and we will eventually make it all the way around that company and talk to everyone, um, but not today, because we've got some news to get to, and our first article comes to us from Slashdot.org. FCT, FCC excuse me, takes spectrum from auto industry in plan to supersize Wi-Fi. And at first, when I read this, I was like, oh, well, they're just you know, taking some, something that's not used. But it's actually a, a safety uh, band that they're, that they're taking away, which seemed a little underused. But still, that's, that's a little scary. Yeah, so this, it, it seems like a controversial thing at first, but once you kind of dig into the details, it's, it's not so bad. Uh, basically, what it boils down to is that Wi-Fi spectrum is pretty limited. And so in the United States, the FCC limits that. And there, there have been spectrum auctions and things where people pay billions of dollars for access to particular parts of the spectrum. Well, in this case, there was a block of, of Wi-Fi spectrum that was assigned out, uh, uh, for those who care, 5.85 gigahertz through 5.925 gigahertz. I'm sure we'll all remember that in two minutes. <laughs> Uh, that 20 years ago was set aside for what P Peter was mentioning, dedicated short-range communications, or DSRC, and the intent of it was for cars to talk to each other, right? A lot of cars have lane assist these days, right? And so if, if it senses you're getting close to the middle line, it can move you back into the center of the lane. Well, the idea with DSRC was that cars would talk to each other, and so you would know if you were close to a car, and move apart or, or whatever. And, and, and that was the idea behind it. Well, it's been 20 years. And in that time, only 15,506 vehicles have been fitted with DSRC gear. So in other words, the odds of you passing by a car with DSRC is almost non-existent. So it, it just hasn't been used. It's been sitting there 20 years doing nothing. So the FCC finally said, you know what? If you're not going to use it, we can absolutely use that in the Wi-Fi band used by home routers and access points. And so that's what they've done. They've seized that back and they've opened it up for immediate use. Now, this is probably not something they can push out with a firmware update, but what you'll find is in newer routers that come out, they'll be able to add some additional channels to the, the Wi-Fi um, frequencies that you pick, and that creates less congestion, which would be a nice feature. Yeah, we do like little less congestion when it comes to our wireless because, I don't know about you guys, I got quite a few devices on my own personal wireless. Then when people come over for things like holidays, it really gets super slow, and if you're trying to stream a game or whatever, it can yeah. get a little pixelated and crappy. And if you, if you live in an apartment, and you're oh. surrounded by other people with wireless routers, you know, potentially you could have channel collisions, and this gives us more channels to avoid that. So it's a good thing all in all. Those can actually be used right now. We don't have to wait for the auto industry to decide to use it. And I think we've all seen where self-driving cars are just not ready yet. We have held off the... Uh the robot apocalypse yeah. for a little while longer. Because all I see is a bunch of self-driving cars that decide, okay, they're in a really good formation. Kill a bunch of these virus humans. <laughs> crash, 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 crash. Well, and what, what they're <laughs> going to start using now is uh, a Bluetooth, where they just leave the Bluetooth open on the cars. And as it gets closer, if it sees another item to connect to, another car, it goes, oh, I'm too close. Uh -huh. Because what is it, 30, 
30 yeah, feet or so. Like so that. you can just back off. I, I like how point. even cars know you need personal space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of reminds me. Especially I, at 65 miles an hour. <laughs> exactly. I got an email um, today when you were talking about how congested your, your Wi-Fi and stuff is from Amazon uh, talking about something called Amazon Sidewalk. Sidewalk, yeah. Where they want to hmm. let... You know, hey, th- these little parts of your bandwidth you're not using, we can share them out to your neighbors. No, 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 like, no, no. Oh, okay, let's <laughs> find the button for turn that off. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, pass. you know, uh, obviously not a news article that we picked, but uh, I think we yeah, did sorry. talk about Sidewalk a few weeks ago. But the idea, though, is if somebody's jogging by with a fitness tracker, it's communicating very little. It might be able to communicate. So, like, I've got ring... Um, Spotlights around the house, yeah. or floodlights, not spotlights. No. <laughs> oh, on my guard towers yeah. at the house. Yeah. So I've got the ring floodlights, yeah. and so they communicate on my Wi-Fi network, and so they would extend that network outside to allow some of these devices. If you have Alexa in your car or whatever, they'd be able to communicate. It's a good idea, but it is sharing the network. And I know, like, I shut the Wi-Fi off in my fiber router because. I don't, I don't want to be some AT&T access point. Um, and this is kind of the same, but for Amazon. So I, I'm torn. I can see the good side of yeah. it and I can see the bad. What I honestly think most people don't know about, I mean, I didn't really realize that until you had told me, Don, that, that my you know, AT&T fiber internet is a, is a hotspot for other mm-hmm. AT&T users. I, I had no idea. And I think most people that sign up for accounts, oh, you know, yeah. the, the average user just you know, signs the terms and conditions and, and doesn't realize that, yep. uh, that all that's open. So. See, I, I view my wireless connectivity and uh, as ownership is almost like one of those uh, late 19th, 18th, or 20th, or early 20th century landowners where I don't need all that land, but it's mine and you can't have it. <laughs> I drink your milkshake. <laughs> yeah. Now, interesting uh, kind of side story on this one, like Comcast has data caps. Uh, that, that was another news story we didn't pick. They've rolled out the data caps nationwide now. Uh, their, uh, their cable modems are set up that same way where they have a guest network you can join. Uh, and the guest network doesn't count towards your data cap. So mm. if you're on your own network, you just get you, on the guest network. You, yeah, you just flip over to it and off you go. So yeah, do you get to set up a notification <laughs> for once you get to yeah. this bandwidth limit? That's <laughs> now you're thinking. I yeah, like that. That's right. All right. Well, our next article is from what is this? Lilliputing. Like Lilliputing. Yes. Okay, uh, so, yes, like the little so like little little computers, little teeny computers. <laughs> uh, all right. Ubuntu Web Remix is a Linux distro that puts Firefox front and center. It's a Chrome OS alternative, and this looks like a, a pretty cool little application that someone's created if you yeah. uh, don't hate Firefox. So this is, is really neat. Um, you know, Google released Chrome OS with their Chromebook line. And for the most part, well, while there are kind of open sourcey versions of it, really Chrome OS is only supported on Chromebooks so, or the Chromeboxes that they have. So you, you're really kind of tied into this one ecosystem. And Google has made some strange choices with it. A lot of people aren't happy with. And Google tends to be a little invasive as far as getting all your personal information. So it's nice to see an alternative. Here it's a stripped down version of Ubuntu Linux that is designed to run Firefox in a very Chromebook-like way. So if you install it on a laptop, it's lightweight. You don't need a lot of hardware. And you basically get the same functionality as a Chromebook. You don't get the enterprise management stuff if you use that. But as a standalone, it's basically the same. Except you get Firefox instead of Chrome, which some people like. I'm not a fan of Firefox, but some people are. Uh, But also, it is a full-blown version of Linux. And so you could potentially install whatever software you wanted on it. And it has an Android application emulation layer. So you can run some Android apps on it as well. So it's a good Chromebook alternative. That's that's what I liked about it was not so much like I, I use Firefox and it's it's fine. I use Chrome when I need to use Chrome and that's fine as well. Uh, but the idea of taking a Chromebook 
and t- you can do it. You can turn a Chromebook into kind of a Linux distribution. It's a bit of a yeah. above pain. You got to jump through some hoops or so crouton j- where it's kind of <clears throat> fake. Right, yeah. right. Uh, having an actual Ubuntu distro running on pretty cheap hardware and being able to do some day-to-day tasks that that does appeal to me yeah, yeah and that's the benefit of of the chromebook is it's obviously really cheap uh, because it's you know it doesn't have to be a, a really high-end system so uh, are there computers out there that you could could buy like that that aren't chromebooks that you could kind of just turn into this oh thing? yeah i mean you can go down to best buy and buy a yeah, windows machine for 200 bucks <laughs> yeah. and it's slow as a dog oh, and you throw man. something like this on it and it runs fine yeah. or i guess you could use this on maybe that old laptop you have sitting around the house that yeah. you know doesn't run so hot anymore because mm-hmm. this would be like a little bit less yeah. less drain on it and even some chromebooks uh they're they're depending on the vendor that you bought from some of the chromebooks support flashing the bios with i think they call it c bios or something like that uh that allows you to boot non-chrome os operating systems and you could boot this like you could dual boot it, or no, you could just format. You would just format. Yeah. It. Okay, that makes sense. Well, uh, I mean, in in an age too where we're talking about you know learning from home for a lot of people, you know, other options like this that uh, I mean, I assume since this is um, Ubuntu that someone made, it's free. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely free, and it's not that just someone made it; it's that Canonical made it. So this is an officially oh, wow. supported uh, release from them. Yep. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so, I saw the developer's name here. I didn't realize that it was. Official, so that's cool. So that means. Oh, you know what? Hang on, let me. me, I'm going to back that statement back up then, because it does say that Rudra Saraswat decided to build a Chrome OS alternative, Um, but I could have swore I saw it available. Oh shoot! Okay, so it is a an extra developer that made it, uh, but is using applications from the slash e slash project. Project. That's what it is. Which is what used to be the uh, Unity interface for Canonical's Ubuntu. So there is some official support behind the scenes, but the actual distro is wrapped up by someone else. Yep. Okay. And maybe if Ubuntu sees this really taken off to Canonical, that they might jump in and uh, yeah. and help out too. I mean, they did that with uh, Xubuntu and Kubuntu and all those variations, so it could be the same. All right. Very cool. Check that out. Uh, Our next article comes to us from ZDNet.com, and I love this one. The worst passwords of 2020 shows we are just as lazy about security as ever. Uh, And the subtitle is, can't we do any better than 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6? Yeah, we could add seven. 2020 (laughs) still getting one star on Amazon. (laughs) But yeah, we have all this extra time now. We could be coming up with great passwords. But it really just seems like when you go down the list of of the the top, uh, well, the top 10 they've got here, it's just... An issue of well, how many how many characters do I need? Eight. All right. Well, then I'll count to eight. Right. Yeah. They uh, they took a bunch of databases from compromised companies. So you know, companies got hacked. Their databases got released online, and so they gathered those up. They had two hundred and seventy five million passwords that were were leaked in this manner. They took that and they analyzed it. Now they just did ones that were released in twenty twenty because you know we see these every year, uh, and they found that not much has changed. Number one is indeed one two three four five six. Number two is a little bit stronger at one two three four five six seven eight nine, so definitely stepping up. Uh, but there was a new one on the list. I don't know if you guys noticed this. Number three, picture one. Yeah, I didn't. I couldn't figure that one out. Yeah, I'm like, where is this coming from? So I'm gonna wager that one of the database breaches must have been like a photo hosting site. It had to be. And then that's why uh, you've got picture one because you know there's there's a lot of environmental things that impact this stuff. Um, but yeah, that's 371,000 uses, um, which is a big jump from, you know, number one is uh, two and a half million uses. Number two is uh, almost a million. So it's a big jump down to between one and two. To, yeah. To, so maybe maybe there was some company that was using that as like the default password for an account. And then mm-hmm. they'd make you do a password reset if the account was created. Yeah. And so that resulted in skewing it. Um, I had to look up number 10. Do you, do you guys know what that is? So number 10 on this no. list is Senha. 
I meant to look that up before the show, and I did not. No, I, any guesses? I, I missed it. What is it? It's Brazilian for password. <laughs> oh, fun. So I'm guessing one of the sites was uh, yeah. from Brazil. Uh, and I, I like, too, in the article, they, they point out that um, among the top 200 was the word whatever. <laughs> whatever. Which is kind of just a, That's going to be my password. Great, yeah, it just yeah. shows, you know, how, how much people care about, yeah. about what you got to do. Or there. your password is eight asterisks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love how I said that. Uh, only 44% of that huge, gigantic number that Don rattled off was uh, of those recorded were considered unique. Yeah. So, like, if you've got yourself some good password lists. Yeah, because they said so. They're probably cracking some. What did some they say? Passes. The dictionary based yeah. uh, ones yeah. are, are the ones that they'll run through first. And I mean, I got to think, even if you had a dictionary based thing, that you would just put the word password on top of it to run first and you'd be into. Yeah, most of the, most first. of the dictionary lists that I've worked with have prioritized more okay. common stuff at the beginning and then you hit the okay here's everything else and you start working your way through it yeah because what's cool on this uh on this chart where they show the the order it also shows the time to crack it and the first two are less than a second the picture one i, I guess because it has a combination of letters and a number it takes three hours so yeah. honestly that's the most secure uh <laughs> the most the secure on here. you got three good hours before <laughs> someone comes rapping at your door yeah. <laughs> and you have to change it to a oh, picture two yeah you know? crap capital well, p it, it just highlights again how important it is to use multi-factor authentication and to use a password manager so you can easily generate complex passwords and not reuse them on any two sites yeah <laughs> you know what i like about password managers i don't even i don't even know my password like yeah. if you held me at gunpoint it was like your kids are gonna die if you don't tell us your password you're bad i'm like I guess they're smoked because <laughs> well, I have no clue. What, what I like that about the password is. manager too is it tells you, you know, you've used this password on. Oh yeah, site. yeah. You go, oh crap, I did. You're right, hey, a holes. You're doing that password reuse thing yeah. we don't like. It's like I'm gonna let you do it still, but <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna shame you. I'm just gonna you. let you know you're dumb. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you you do at least know the password to your password manager, right? Yeah, that's the only password. The, but yeah, but if the, to the terrorists, you're, you're you're beating up on the stinking picture here. Peter. What? What? The idea <laughs> of someone holding a gun. Oh, that's you, funny. You ruined the story. You, you yeah. keep Way plot, to go, Peter. Show Just you got plot like, holes. No, you don't want that password, guys. Let me actually give you the my same password back to the manager. future. Then you get all of my passwords. Now, wait. So why did Obi-Wan disappear when he died? But Darth <laughs> because Vader didn't. Jean-Luc I mean, Picard. This doesn't make any sense. He beamed Obi-Wan <laughs> off. Oh, of that's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Okay, so uh, that's, that's what we'll have comments about. This yeah, week. that's true. <laughs> All right, our next article comes from securityledger.com. Security holes opened backdoor to TCL Android smart TVs. And uh, I don't know if this has been patched yet, and you guys can tell me, but what I do know is that I have two of these TVs back in the closet on, in our office <laughs> because you these are, are the TVs we used for trade shows. And that ain't happening anytime <laughs> soon. So if we want to bust one of these out today, let's have some fun. All right. So uh, there was a uh, basically a, a big vulnerability found in many TCL Android smart TVs. So these are TVs that are very, very common, uh, especially right now. We're going into the, the holiday, the Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales. Best Buy sells the hell out of TCL TVs. So does uh, Walmart. They're usually really reasonably priced, and they're smart TVs. Uh, they partner with Roku. So most of the Roku TVs that are out there are from TCL. Uh, and so there is a, uh, a remote attack available where an attacker can gain access to the system and do all sorts of crazy stuff with it. Um, a security researcher found this out 
and went through the process of reporting it, which turns out was borderline impossible to do. <laughs> uh, they found no human being they could contact at TCL, and the security email address bounces, uh, so it wasn't a valid address. <laughs> That's uh, great. Did it just come back with like an ASCII middle finger? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he ended up having to call Roku, and the Roku people put them in contact with TCL wow. and then got a response. Now, that's good. That means it is patched, right? I, I like how the security researchers had to hack contacting the security people <laughs> yeah. at this company. Yeah, I had to social engineer you <laughs> yeah, to get your yeah. home phone number. So here's the thing, though. TCL fixed it, and they pushed out a patch to repair it. Now, the security researcher was watching for this, and, and here's what they found. TCL silently pushed out a patch that updated the TV that removed that blocked the port that the attackers were used are able to be able to use to connect. Now they did this with absolutely no messaging on the TV, no warning, no communication, and in fact, even the version number of the software, the firmware on the TV did not change. And so what that says is, you know, one, they can fix this really fast and automatic, which is nice. And two, TCL can do whatever the hell they want with your TV <laughs> at any moment's notice. And so, like, they are capable of remotely connecting into any TCL television on the entire planet with no password, no confirmation. You'll see nothing on screen. And so the security researcher, uh, John Jackson, uh, he said that while it's good they they fixed it, it's bad that you've got this company that you know nothing about. They're, uh, I believe they are a Chinese If I company. may, they from Wikipedia, yeah. yes. TCL Technologies is a Chinese multinational electronics company. I'm sensing a like a, a pattern here, Don, yeah. <laughs> with these Chinese companies. Well, yes. you know, <laughs> no, you just found the back door we put in. This is yeah. not. Yeah. So is uh, does it say that TCL is state? It, it would be state It doesn't say right? if it's state or not. Oh, at least it's not what I'm seeing in the article anyway. I know China's. It is under the. So there was a part in this article that talked about companies that, here it is, um, the vulnerabilities raise serious questions about cybersecurity of consumer electronics that are being widely distributed to the public. TCL, mainline Chinese firm, is among those that have raised concerns in the U.S. intelligence community and among law enforcement and lawmakers alongside firms like Weiwei, which has been labeled a national security threat, ZTE, and Lenovo. All right. TCL was originally founded as a state-owned enterprise, and they became publicly traded in 2004. So, yes, they are state-owned. Well, there you go. Yep. So, uh, effectively, if if a war ever broke out between countries or whatever, China can shut your TVs off. Yeah. Or they can watch you, (laughs) right? Because a lot of these cameras, all these TVs have cameras, and they can... Download now, Roku, or they can watch the show with you. Pivot from your TV to other devices. The Roku TVs have microphones in the remotes, right. so there is that. So yeah. definitely on the microphone side. I don't know about cameras though. I've, I yeah. haven't had a TV. With it a it says in the article that they oh. were able to like view camera files. And stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, there we go. There you go. So, so I know that most likely the the hack involved getting the TV so they could use it as part of a botnet or something to mine Bitcoin or attack other sites, and, and that's great. But I think it would be fun if, if you could just control what was on someone's TV. Do you think I could do that if I had access through this? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. And the uh, the lesson here is that we should all be buying American TVs from brands like... Hold on. Um, <laughs> um, like, yeah. um, Maytag? Uh, Zenith? Um, <laughs> Mexican, right? <laughs> Samsung? No. Yeah. I know, I'm pretty certain there are no American TVs. We just TV stopped watching TV. Right? So it does say right here, I love this part, it said that... Um, 
Uh, and while disputes over Chinese apps like TikTok dominate the headlines, a recent report from the firm Insights on China's growing cyber risk, uh, cyber risk notes that the Chinese Communist Party is engaged in far broader campaign in a far broader campaign to elevate the country to a superpower status by treating quote data as the most valuable asset. Aren't they already a superpower? Like I would China? assume. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're nuclear yeah. and everything. Okay. But yeah. I guess they're trying to push that even. Super 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 duper power. Yeah, the super only superpower. Super yeah, <laughs> super the only super superpower. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's right. fun. Well, anyhow, so oh, yeah. it goes back to IoT is a huge threat, and you <laughs> cannot trust me. devices on your network, and you should be leveraging a firewall when possible. Amen. I'm, I'm going to take those two TVs out, and I'm going to plug them in, and uh, let them get that little patch. Let them silently. Update. Yeah. Yeah. That no one will know. Good okay. times. Good times. That's horrible. All right. Our next article comes from KrebsOnSecurity.com. GoDaddy employees used in attacks on multiple cryptocurrency services. And so to clarify, the, the GoDaddy employees are unwitting uh, members of this attack. They Correct. were, um, you know, socially engineered to, or fished or whatever to yep. get there. This okay. is very similar to the Twitter Bitcoin scam just right. a few months ago. If with it the, ain't broke, Don. Yeah. I mean, the stack works everywhere. Huh. So attackers socially engineered a couple of employees at GoDaddy to be able to gain access to administrative tools that allowed them to take over and redirect several domains. <clears throat> they, uh, they did not transfer the domains out, but they did change things like MX records to take over email domains to allow additional account takeover and compromise of company systems. Uh, they focused on Bitcoin exchanges or cryptocurrency exchanges. I, I don't think they limited themselves to Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so they're able to wreak a little havoc. Now, it's, it's interesting because it, it mentions that 28,000 of its customers' uh, web hosting accounts were compromised. But later on, like in their official statement, many times they say, very few of our customers, yeah. a very small subset of our employees, like apparently 28,000 is a small number to them. But either way... It's a relative term. Uh, yeah. It well, does 10%. show how important it is. Like these big companies, GoDaddy is a massive company and they've got a cybersecurity team. Uh, like they acquired Media Temple, they acquired Security. Uh, oh, so, yeah. you know, they have a whole security team uh, and this this happened. So the, the big danger here, in my opinion, is these are DNS domains, right? Domains in, in the IT world, especially in this day and age of web applications, your DNS domain is like the most important asset you have, right? Imagine you're an online retailer and you do 500000 a million dollars in sales a day, and somebody takes over your domain. All right, well, your sales just dropped to zero. Your customers are getting compromised left and right, and you can do nothing about it because a registrar controls your domain, not you. And so now you have to spend three, seven, ten days, however long. Uh, they're saying in this case some, they had access for something like six months. So you know potentially you could be without your domain for quite a stretch of time before you finally get it back. And when you get it back... You're not necessarily going to be generating revenue right now because your customers are pretty pissed and, uh, you know, it's, it's just a whole train wreck. So the domain naming system that's in place right now is extremely vulnerable. And that's why technologies like DNSSEC have been coming out. But if the registrars aren't securing, you know, if they're not taking the extra precautions to stay safe, then it's a losing battle for us. Hey, at least it was only six months, right? The, uh, I think the average time for a breach is like 280 days, almost like nine months. So they're actually doing really well. They beat the curve. Good for you guys. Yeah. 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 A small number for a short time, according yeah. to, according <laughs> yeah. to them. Exactly. See? When you, when you spin it right, when you get the, the PR team involved. That's all you need. So it sense. says the, you know, the attack had been going on for about six months. They gained access, but the, where they actually started going after like liquid.com was one of them that started on November 13th. So it's just a couple of weeks. Yes. On that one. So that's not too bad. Not too bad. But, uh, you know, in this case, 
using multi-factor authentication, uh, you know, not trusting people that call you on the phone. This was a phone-based social engineering yeah. attack. Uh, you'd think that you can train people to, to be protected from this, but it's just something we're continually it's, saying. It's hard. We have, you know, social constructs and things that people take advantage of and people want to be helpful. And if you sound like you got the right game, people are unfortunately very susceptible to falling for that because it sounds right, it seems right. And maybe that little nagging voice in the back of my head telling me don't do this is just me being paranoid. You know, that's the kind of stuff that these people prey on and they're not going to get everybody, but it only takes one, right? And then they got the things they need and boom, they're in causing all sorts of damage. See, the good thing is I, I feel I am extremely susceptible. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm nice. I want to, I want to please people. Right. I don't want to piss people off. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm I'm not that smart, uh, and but you couple that with the fact that I don't have access to things. Um, so you know, we've talked about privileged yeah. access before. I mean, the, the best thing you're going to get from me, you know, is a T-shirt. Um, <laughs> probably you can log into our, our T-shirt vendor. Maybe you can get a free ITPR TV account. Uh, I'm but not what sure. I do is I send e- if I can compromise you, I can send emails as you, and then that is legit. No, 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 yeah. because <laughs> you're assuming people trust me. <laughs> so if I asked others in the company for important things, they go. What are you doing up at 9 a.m.? Yeah. You, know, the, you don't get up before the crack of noon. Yeah. In, the, in the certificate world, right, where you have a, a, certificate, a certificate authority, right? The, it's fun the, to say. The, the root CA <laughs> is typically air-gapped, right? It's yeah. typically offline, very secure. They don't want anybody getting at the root CA because then you could issue whatever search you wanted, right? It seems like we should really have that for DNS, that like the registrars, the tools for managing it, they need to be highly secured. So that some attacker can't just VPN in from Moscow or, <laughs> or start wherever. stealing yeah. donate names to, at their leisure. Well, wasn't that what we talked about with with Twitter? Those accounts that they were going after in the hack were, yeah. were the high level accounts where you need a certain level of access, or right. you know, you got to have OG p- a couple people turn stuff, their keys yeah. at the same time, kind of thing. I mean, that's what yeah. that's what you need for domains because I mean, yeah, if you get a hold of something like that, I mean, I. I guess the registrar, are they able to reverse that then? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They, and in okay. this case, they, they did reverse it. But, you know, there's a lot of damage that's done while that domain is taken over and it takes a while to sort itself well, out. We've talked about if you took over Amazon for an hour, you know, how, how much money are you, you know, are, are you out at that point? And, and imagine you have been busting your butt. You'll like this, Peter. It's a marketing thing. Oh, yeah. You've been busting your butt on establishing great SEO, right? Search engine optimization. Google has indexed your site. And then an attacker redirects the site. So now the Google crawler hits it and sees malware. They're going to yank you out of the results. Yeah, you're not only right? low, you're yeah. gone. Yeah. So now you get the domain back and you've got to spend months trying to rebuild your SEO reputation. That That's the type of damage that can be done here. So if you haven't already, make sure that you've got transfer locks turned on on your domain. Make sure that you're using some kind of proxy uh, for anonymizing yourself. Uh, you know, you don't want to share your contact credentials with your DNS registration. So most of them support doing some kind of uh, masked registration. Make sure you do that. Uh, multi-factor, you know, you need to be monitoring your DNS records so that you know the moment they change, if a change does happen. These are all things that you need to have in place that are really super important. And my approach, don't answer the phone. Uh, <laughs> I've got an extension here. That phone on my desk has been unplugged for yeah. at least nine months. <laughs> I don't answer the phone when I know it's the actual yeah. person oh, on the yeah, other yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, if it's if, important, if it's I'll important, leave a message. <laughs> message, exactly. And I'm probably still not going to call back. I'll send them an email. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then that I point. mean, I thought about it. That counts for something, right? Yeah, that's what yeah. you do. If someone calls you, get the message, email them back. And then when they go, what is this about? I didn't And email you. it to like their sign-up account email address yeah. that they never check. Yeah, <laughs> if it's important, they'll check it. Yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, we've got a lot coming up. First of all, um, we have a webinar coming up on December 10th. It is how to make vSphere 7.0 work for you. Upgrade to the latest version or the latest release from VMware because we're doing uh, VMware month in the month of uh, December here. So that's 2 p.m. Eastern on uh, December 10th. So head over to itpro.tv slash webinars where you can sign up for that one. You can also check out all the past webinars uh, that we have there. We've got a couple cool ones from this month that we did um, about certain Nexus uh, stuff, one about mobility and self-driving cars and, and getting into that field. So that's pretty cool. You can check that all out at itpro.tv slash webinars. And I guess we probably have to update that webinar now if you're, you can no longer use that, um, that Wi-Fi range, <laughs> those gigahertz. So. <laughs> Got less gigahertz now that you can use. Uh, and while you're on that internet, head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado. You can get a 30% off coupon code, and that is 30% off for the lifetime of your account, for your personal account. And you can also request a team trial and and, uh, and training for your team and find out about all the cool features available uh, for groups of two or more. Uh, that's all at go.itpro.tv slash technado. <laughs> and then starting on uh, November 30th, we're launching the first in the uh, series of unboxing videos videos uh, called the 12 days of IT. If you head to itpro.tv slash 12 days, you can sign up because we're going to uh, have 12 different unboxing videos of really cool tech products, um, you know, ranging from little things to, to some great big prizes uh, that's taking place where, with one coming out every day. And then on December 11th, we're going to draw names and we're going to give all that stuff away. So uh, there's, there's a chance now to head over to itpro.tv slash 12 days and enter to win. I know, Don, you did a couple of them. You did a, uh, we can talk about what they are now. You did a YubiKey and you did yep. a, a Raspi cluster, right? Yep, the Turing Pi cluster. That was awesome. And then, uh, Daniel, you did a couple things from Hack 5. Yeah, Bash Bunny and a Wi-Fi Pineapple. And uh, you, you put some malware then in the... <laughs> Wouldn't be Christmas if it didn't have a gift in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here's the package for you. <laughs> uh, fantastic. But yeah, head over to itpro.tv slash 12 days. Sign up for that. It's a lot of fun. And uh, we've got the first video going out November 30th. Uh, so be sure to check that out. Uh, all right. Thanks again to Dan Cornell. Um, easiest name I've ever, ever, ever had to remember. Yeah. Two, two Dan's change. and a Don. Can't, uh, can't make it any easier on me. Thanks, guys. And, uh, and happy Thanksgiving. For everyone you. in the United States, it's, yes. <laughs> well, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. You, yeah. you can. You there know. are other countries that have Thanksgivings. We'll go ahead and either preemptively or retroactively appropriate uh, them. Yes, or okay. just well, give we them can thanks. Wish you a happy one. Yeah, exactly. Even if it's you know six months out of date, we yeah happy happy time Thanksgiving well. whenever that may be for you. And have a happy Thanksgiving. And for the record, my Wi-Fi runs on one point two one gigawatts. <laughs> oh wow, that's like a is lightning that, bolt. Is that nuclear? <laughs> <laughs> Fusion fission. Was it Mr. Fission? Mr. Fusion? Mr. Fusion. It was go. Fusion, yeah. <laughs> if it was Fission. It was Fission originally, I guess. I have no idea. And enjoy Black <laughs> Friday and Cyber Monday. Oh, yeah. Big times. All right. We'll see you guys next week right here on TechNado with Don Pazette.